Tonight's reading is taken from James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We will stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the, po- <coughs> among the parts of the body. This is it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have, who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth came praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Thank you so much to Paul for giving a reading this evening. Um, good evening, my name's Toby. Um, massive welcome to you if this is your first time here at St. Saviour's. Um, tonight we're thinking about this idea of taming the tongue. Um, my wife Claire and I, we don't watch too much television, but occasionally we do love to watch Gogglebox. It's probably the one thing on TV that we, we manage to catch up with every single week is Gogglebox. If you uh, haven't seen it, it's a very simple premise. You basically watch people watch TV. <laughs> Sounds like it should be rubbish, but actually it is awesome. But through Gogglebox, the medium of Gogglebox gives us the rest of the television. So the only television we really see is through Gogglebox. So we see what the people on Gogglebox watch. That is why last week I got to see a tamed raccoon. Yeah, this lady had tamed a raccoon to do more than a hundred different tricks. And I thought it would be like shaking hands or sitting, but this raccoon could do forward rolls, it could ride a bike, and it could ride a scooter. And I was just thinking, oh my goodness. If you can tame a raccoon, is there anything you cannot tame? We're in the reading there. Um, James writes that all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed, but no man can tame the tongue. Um, if you read this passage in the NIV Bible, you'll see that the title of this part is called Taming the Tongue. And James's epistle, James's letter, is all about how we do the Christian life. It's how we do it, how we put it into practice. It's a really practical book. It starts off by talking about kind of like what our faith looks like and how to James, the key thing for him is that we put our faith in action. He says that um, faith without action is dead. Faith without works is dead. He then goes on to say, how do we do that? And the first thing he talks about after that is how we speak, how we speak to one another, which words we use and how we talk. Uh, I teach in a local school, I'm an RE teacher, and there's a rule in my classroom that you are not allowed to blaspheme. 
you're not allowed to say, oh my God, or say Jesus Christ as a swear word. And to most students, that comes as a real surprise to them. Because it's, it's actually, I think, as a teacher, I'm noticing it getting worse and worse rather than better. But most students who seem to come into class now, if they're surprised or shocked, they say, oh my God. And I say to them straight I'm so sorry, that's the first time you've done that and you didn't know. But actually, that's very offensive to me as a Christian. So that's your one-off, but next time, please don't do that. And it takes time, and they complain. They say, Mr. Wood, it's so hard not to say that. We say it everywhere else. Why can't we say it here? I say, because you can't say it here. You have to tame your tongue. And they find it actually quite difficult to do, quite difficult to tame their tongue, to stop saying that particular expression. And it can be difficult. Uh, it can be difficult to give up swearing. Some people have these things called swear jars where they put a pound in every time they swear. Um, some people find it hard to keep a secret. If someone tells them a secret, and they know they're not allowed to tell anyone, they find it really difficult not to do that. I feel my tongue's getting quite tame tonight. I tell you, I need to give it a drink, the poor thing. It's better. First one, this is, um, it's a great line, actually. Uh, when I saw, oh, Claire said, can you speak on James 3? I was like, yeah, James 3, James 3, James 3. Not many of you should become teachers. <laughs> is this a subliminal message? Um, he's not actually talking about a classroom teacher here. Uh, there weren't classroom teachers in the time of Jesus. You had teachers of the law. You had people who taught um, the early church, who taught groups of Jews as well. And being a teacher was a very prestigious position. And what, Paul's, uh, sorry, what James is saying here is don't rush into becoming like a, a teacher in the church. Yeah, you're a Christian, and that's awesome. Don't feel now that like it's like a, like a ladder. And you start off as like, okay, you're a Christian now, that's great. And slowly you're going to be you know, teaching in the church because it isn't for everyone. And he points out that no one is perfect and everyone slips up but if you slip up in the spotlight it can have very devastating consequences for yourself and for those that you lead when we think about um what the way jesus spoke to the pharisees he was really harsh with the pharisees the words he used to talk to the pharisees were incredibly offensive he called the pharisees whitewashed tombs that looked beautiful on the outside but were dead in the middle um, he said that they were like a brood of vipers he was really harsh with the pharisees because if you are teaching people and leading people, it's such a um, massive responsibility that you need to kind of go into it with the right attitude and then think about the consequences of, of what you do. We're so blessed here at St. Saviour's um, to have amazing leaders. We've got Ron, we've got Claire. Um, Claire I've known for six years. I don't know like many more people with more integrity than you, Claire, and it's been like a real blessing having you lead us in this church for so long. Um, and it's just that we shouldn't rush into that unless that's something that we have a calling for. Because if you slip up in the spotlight, it can be very devastating. He then moves on to talk about um, taming the tongue. I thought the tongue was the strongest muscle in the body. I've been told that, so I googled it just to check, and it's not. It's not the strongest muscle in the body. It's actually eight muscles. There's eight muscles in your tongue. And with these eight muscles, we can do so much blessing. We can bless so many people with this bad boy. But we can also do so much damage. James talks about in verses 3 to 4, comparing the tongue to a rudder of a ship, a small rudder that can turn a big ship in the right direction. It talks about it being um, like a bit that you put in the, house, uh, the mouth of a horse. I see Elise at the back there. It's a horse reference, that's for you. And you use the bit, I think, just to turn the horse. That's my ignorant understanding of that. But using the small thing to do something really good. And then on the other side of that, we look in verse... Um, Six, uh, sorry, around verse 6 about this tongue being like a flame that can set fire to and destroy an entire forest. 
these are really helpful pictures and help us think about this, this kind of muscle, this part of your body that can do so much good or so much bad. James continues in verses 6 and 8 with the theme of fire. He calls the tongue a fire that has been lit by the fire of hell. Very strong words. It's an untamable, restless evil. Something that is full of deadly poison. The damage you can do with words is unfathomable. If you have been bullied in your life, or if you know anyone who has been bullied or picked on, uh, and people have said they called them a name or picked up on a personality trait or a physical or, or personal trait about them and use words to disrespect and say hurtful things, that damage can go on for a long, long time. That, that damage can then damage others as well as the person who's been hurt by words cannot build relationships with other people. If you've ever had a rumour spread about you, you know how difficult that is. I had a really nasty rumour spread about me at university throughout the Christian Union. Um, that wasn't true at all. It wasn't true at all. I was, I'd been put on a kind of a rotor of, of people to speak at public events and I was actually taken off the rotor and it wasn't explained to me why. And I found out there was a rumour going on about me um, that just had no truth in it whatsoever. And I didn't know what to do. And I really struggled with it. And I went to church and there's a guy there called John and... Um, he said, Toby, what's the matter? I said, well, you won't believe this, man. I've been taken off the Christian University speaking rotor, and I've, I've heard there's this like, really horrible rumour being spoken about me, and uh, I, I'm, just, I'm really upset about it, I'm angry about it, I don't really know what to do. Um, I'm tempted to like, give out some, you know, some message so that everyone hears it, say it's not true, because I don't know who's heard it, I don't know what they've heard, I don't know what people are saying about me. I wanted to vindicate myself. But John said to me that I need to learn a lesson in humility. Uh, I could speak to anyone I wanted to, and if they brought up this rumour, then I could correct them there and then. But otherwise, just to try and let it go and just let people say things about me that were not true. And it was a horrible thing to do, um, but we got through it and it got rectified in the end and that was all right. But for that period of time, while it was, uh, this word was being spoken about me, it was horrible. I didn't want to see people. I didn't want to um, go to Christian Union events. It wasn't a good time. Think about someone like um, Adolf Hitler, who his, his like, skill in life was writing well-worded speeches and then delivering them very well. And through that, he spread this evil ideology that resulted in millions and millions of people being needlessly killed. In verses 9 to 10, James confronts us about how fickle we can be. This title of this talk tonight is about blessing and curse. You know, one minute we can be praising God, hallelujah, and the next minute insulting someone swearing at another driver on the way home in traffic. As Christians, we can, you know, we can build people up. Jesus said, love one another. Paul said, encourage one another. Or we can crush them. We need to tame our tongues. So how do we do this? How do we tame our tongues? James has actually brought this up already verse, uh, in chapter 1, verse 26, where he says, keep a tight rein on your tongue. He says, if anyone considers himself religious and does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. We've got to watch what we say. I grew up with a guy called Chris Oldfield, great guy. I used to think he was really shy though. He just didn't speak very much. But as I got to know him over a few years, I realised he just only ever spoke if he had something to say that was very interesting or very funny. He was a great guy, a very wise guy, a very cool guy, but it took a while to kind of understand that. But he had the wisdom to know um, there's a time to speak and a time to listen. 
We basically need a criteria for speech. We need a criteria like a sieve that if we drop what we're going to say into it in our head, like a filter, it filters out things that we shouldn't be saying and only lets through the things that we should be saying. Jesus had a great filter. If you read the story of Jesus calling Lazarus out of the tomb in um, John chapter 11, he points out before he prays, he says, Father, I thank you that you hear me. I know you always hear me, but I say that now for these people's benefit. Basically, everything that Jesus said was a prayer. He was so fully aware that God was listening all the time that anything that Jesus said was to whoever was hearing it and to God the Father. That is a great criteria for how we speak. I'm going to talk to you about an acronym we use at school. You may have heard this before, because I've heard it in a Christian talk once upon a time. Um, I think it started from Socrates' Test of Three, if you've heard that before, about three sieves you drop uh, any speech through to make sure it's the right thing to say. We use it at school and we say, uh, think before you speak. Think before you speak. And it works as a wonderful acronym, the word think, to say, is this the sort of thing I should be saying? So it stands for, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? And if what you're about to say fits that criteria, then you go ahead and say it. This is a, 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 it's like training, this is. It's like training. It's about, um, this might be a new idea to you that you might want to start thinking into practice every day. Obviously, that's a lot of things to think about before you say anything. But the more you start training this way, uh, the more easy it's going to be for you to tame your tongue and control what you say. So let's uh, think about the letter T. T stands for true. Is what we're about to say true? Do we know with absolute certainty what we're about to say is the truth? We live in uh, an interesting world at the moment, the way social media is so prevalent and powerful. You've got people saying who um, our current president of the United States of America, Donald Trump, one of the main reasons that he was voted in was because of fake news that had permeated um, Facebook and Twitter, etc. Um, so we've got like uh, this whole fact checker website set up now, so that when you read something on Facebook, it's really important to fact check it afterward to make sure that it is the, the genuine article. We've got an election coming up on June the 8th, and what's going to happen to you if you use social media at the moment is people are going to be sharing all sorts of stories, um, news items, and some of them are not going to be true at all, and some of them are. And it's really important that you fact check everything that you see. The ninth commandment of the Ten Commandments isn't do not lie. A lot of people think it says do not lie. It's not do not lie. It's um, do not give false testimony against your neighbour. If you flick, if you've got your Bible open to James 4 verse 11, you'll see do not slander one another. Don't tell things that are untrue about someone else. My wife is a vault. She's very good at holding things in. She's like the most anti-gossip person I've ever met in my life. Um, we have, we have a couple of friends of ours who sadly they live abroad at the moment and sadly they have just separated. Um, and we, Claire, Claire knows this because she was in text conversation with them. Um, sadly we've separated and we were really shocked. We were praying for them and we bumped into some of our mutual friends and they said, oh, have you heard from this couple? And I was like, like about to say, oh my goodness, can you believe they've broken up? That is so crazy. And I looked at Claire and she was like, yeah, we've heard from him. Yeah, have you heard from him as well? And I was like, oh, I see what she's doing. She's waiting to see whether they know. Clever. And uh, they didn't know, they didn't bring it up, and so we didn't bring it up either. But I learned a lesson that day. And, you know, um, it's true, and, you know, um, 
Sorry, that's moved on to my second point, actually helpful. Um, that is a true fact we knew, but it wasn't helpful at that point to share it at that time. Uh, so is it true? Is it helpful? Is it true? You might know something is true, but it doesn't mean you have to tell someone. We have Mufti Day uh, once a term at school, and for some students, it's the worst day of the term. They hate it. They hate choosing clothes to wear, to put on, and then come to school on, uh, with the expectation they may be ridiculed for what they wear. And you have students that have to say, oh my goodness, that is like the worst t-shirt I've ever seen in my whole life. And you say, oh, okay, that's not very nice. Didn't have to say that. Yeah, but it's true though. So, uh, yeah, but just because it's true doesn't mean you had to say it. So that's why there's more than one filter. Is it true? Is it helpful? There's a great um, proverb, 17 verse 9. He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Just because you know something to be true doesn't mean you should tell everyone. You need to check whether or not it's helpful for that person to know. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? How do we know whether it's helpful to tell someone something or not? How do we know? Is it inspiring? Is what you're about to say going to build someone up and make them feel great? Or is it going to crush them? Is it a loving thing you're about to say, or is it unloving? My mum used to have a rule, which is a really great rule, which is we don't talk about people behind their back. So we would never talk about anyone behind their back. Uh, if they weren't there in the room to talk with us, we would not talk about them. That was my mum's rule. But I realised it's not actually a very biblical rule. It's a really good bit in Matthew 11, where John the Baptist has been arrested, and he sends his disciples to see Jesus. And he basically says, go find this man Jesus, just check with him, right? Just check with him one last time for me. Is he the Messiah, basically? Is he the one we, we've should be expecting or not. And his disciples go and see Jesus, and Jesus says, well, you go tell John what you see. You see the, the blind receiving their sight. You see uh, freedom for those who are being oppressed. You hear the good word, news being spoken. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll go back. And in Matthew uh, chapter 11, it says, as John's disciples went to leave, Jesus began to speak about John the Baptist. And Jesus just stands there as they're leaving and says the nicest things about John the Baptist. And he says, um, of all the men born from women, there is not one greater than John the Baptist. And I can imagine they're leaving on the way out, like, back to John. I'm like, oh, that's nice. And then John's there in prison and they come back. Oh, is he the Messiah? Yeah, he is the Messiah, man. And he said the nicest thing about you, John. You won't believe this. So I think actually, you know, my mum was a bit wrong about that. I think it's okay to talk about people behind their back as long as what you're saying is inspiring. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? It's been said that words are silver, but silence is gold. Wisdom, when it comes to taming our tongues, is about as much like what we don't say as as much as what we say. I was thinking, the guy came to preach this morning, Andy. Andy said something really poignant this morning where he was talking about a time in his life where his mother had passed away. And um, a lot of people straight away just tried instantly wanting to like, um, give him some advice and try and explain to him why this situation might have occurred, why his mum might have died, what God's plan might have been later on. And he spoke about actually, he didn't need that. Like if he had a wound, being told that he had a wound, wouldn't have helped the wound seal quicker. Actually, what would have been helpful was just like to know that he was loved and looked after throughout the period of time. Um, but he kind of dealt with, with what had happened. Um, in the book of Job, 
when all the bad stuff happens to Job, three of his mates turn up and they're so upset, they put sackcloth on, cover the head in ashes and sit with him in silence for seven days and seven nights. And they just sit there with him. After that, they give him loads of advice. And then when God turns up at the end of the story, he rebukes them for all the advice they gave him. The best thing they did was sit there in silence with him uh, while he was suffering. Do you need to say anything at all? As men, we're very bad at this, I think. I think often if um, our partner or female friend has got an issue and they come and tell us about it, we're like, oh my goodness, I'll fix this right now. Don't worry, all right? What do we need? I've got a screwdriver. I've got some duct tape, WD-40. You know, what is it? What do we need to fix this situation? And sometimes, actually, it's more about not speaking. It's about just being there in the situation. Think about uh, another story. Um, my wife's grandmother recently passed away and um, Claire's mum was very close to her mum and she had this awful week where uh, not only did her mum pass away, uh, later on that week she was trying to open this glass jar of tomato passanda to make some bolognese, I think it was bolognese, in the kitchen and ripped it open and the glass smashed and it just, the damage was on, it looked like the scene from like um, Dexter or some crime drama like blood and tomato passanda all over the kitchen. She had to go, she couldn't drive for like two weeks, had to have her hand put back together again. And she happened to pop down to church the following week and there was a lady down there and, oh, how are you doing? An old friend of hers. And she was saying, well, to be honest, I'm not having a very good week at all. Um, my mum's passed away. I'm just dealing with the plan of the funeral at the moment and you won't believe what I did. I was opening this um, glass jar of tomato passanda to make this um, bolognese cut open, state my hand, blah, blah. And the lady uh, chose to say at this point, well, what were you using tomato passanda for? <laughs> well, that's, that was ridiculous. You just got a tin of tomatoes. And uh, Claire's mum was just in shock. Like, what's wrong with you? Why, uh, why would you say that? Sometimes it's best just to be silent. So, the test, taming our tongue. Is it, what we're about to say true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary to say anything at all? And then the final one, possibly the most important, is about, is it kind? What is our motive for speaking? Is our motive for speaking about glorifying God and blessing our neighbour? In uh, Packer's book, Knowing God, he talks about God's wisdom always being anchored in love. So when God is wise, it's always with regard to love. Wisdom and love go hand in hand. So the choices that we make should always be grounded in agape, in selfless and sacrificial love. We've got to consider the intention of what we're saying. Mike Pinovacci, um, preacher, put on Facebook recently, if you blow out someone's candle, it's not going to make yours shine any brighter. And he's talking about kind of putting people down, but also about boasting as well. Um, I heard a preacher once tell a story about when he was a little boy. It was him and his brother at home and he had a mum and dad. And his mum and dad separated. They lived in America at the time. And his dad moved a long, long, long way away. And his dad would come and visit at times. But they decided that one summer, what was going to happen was his dad wanted to spend like alone time, proper time with each boy. So he was going to come back, take the oldest son away for a week, spend a week with just him and the boy, bring him back, pick up the other son, and off they go back again. 
And um, the preacher was the youngest son. And he said he was so excited to spend this time with his dad. He was buzzing for it. And his dad turned up, took his older brother, and off they went. And he spent the whole week kind of excited. Oh, what we're going to get up to? It's going to be so great. I can't wait to see dad. And he woke up on the morning that his dad was coming back with his older brother, really excited. And he said he ran downstairs. But quickly, his excitement turned to what was that real despair. Um, he walked into the kitchen and his brother was stood there. He said he remembered really vividly chewing gum. And uh, he said, you know, when someone's arrogant, but when they're chewing gum as well, it's the worst. He said his brother was there kind of chewing gum. He had this special chewing gum that he got. And his brother just started to tell him about everything that him and his dad had done together. And uh, oh, we went to this toy shop and dad said I could have anything I wanted up to the value of like $30. And then um, we went outside, just me and him. We bought these remote control cars. And we played for them for hours on end. And then he's got me this really special chewing gum. And we went on for ages. And this, this guy it just broke his heart. It just, his big brother was so boastful about this experience with his dad that he didn't want the experience anymore because it had been kind of marred for him. And um, he used this to talk about boasting in the church, about when we talk about our experiences with God in the church, making sure we're doing it in a kind way. It might be that we've had experiences with God that are true, that were very helpful to us, that we might, it might have inspired us, um, but we need to think about how we share those sometimes. I've spoken about my brother here before. My brother's never experienced the presence of God. He's a Christian, but he's never experienced a feeling that God has been there at all. And I think he, he has struggled in the past when he's heard kind of testimonies where people are laying it on like, oh, yeah, and, um, and I remember God just told me, you know, I've got to go to... Um, like Africa man so I went out there and God told me you know go down this road and you're going to find this old man and I went there and God told me pray for him and they tell these kind of like does that you follow me like these kind of like very I don't know how to put it really like almost boastful stories really about their the times they've had with God and about how uh, that, that was difficult in his in his walk with God himself he found that a difficult yeah I'm going to tell you one more story I'm going to finish what time for that Smash him. I, uh, I remember the first time I sang in church, I was uh, in Exeter at the time, and this guy, John Campbell, came to see me, and he said, um, oh, Toby, uh, you sing, right? And I was like, no, man, no, I don't really sing. I, can't, I mean, I sing, but I don't, you know, I don't sing, sing. He's like, no, 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 you sing, you can sing. I was like, I'm actually 19, John, and no one's ever said to me before, you know, you can sing, you're a good singer, so probably not. He's like, I just need someone to sing up the front next week. I was like, mate, I really don't think I'm the man for this. Uh, he said, you can come to my house for a Sunday lunch afterwards. And I'll tell you, his wife, Kitty's amazing. Like, always four-course <laughs> meals. And he always let you bring Tupperware as well. So I was just all over that. Yeah. So Sunday came, and I was like, right, I'm just going to just get out of the front. The microphone's going to be here. And I'll just sing as if I was in the congregation normally. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. And I remember singing away, you know, and I caught a few people's eyes. They didn't look, they looked interested, I think would be a good word, in my singing capabilities. And this lady came up at the end, and uh, I remember she just looked at me, massive smile on her face, and she said, Toby, that was so real. <laughs> just gave me this big hug. But what I just remember about that was that she wanted to let me know it didn't go that well at all. She appreciated the fact I've given it a go and it blessed her, but also I felt loved by her in that. So... Before we speak next, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind?